All right, good morning and welcome once again to the Digital Cathedral. Glad to have you with me. Uh, we're going to get right into the Word today. We've got a lot of ground to cover this week and next week. I'm actually, actually going to do a little two-part series just this week and next week, and I'm, I'm calling it uh, Never Give an Inch. Never Give an Inch. It's actually a takeoff on an old Paul Newman movie from back in the early 70s. Paul Newman made a, a movie called Never Give an Inch. I, that, might not, that might have been the subtitle. I'm not sure if that was the actual title, but the movie was basically about a logging family in the northwest part of the United States, and the entire industry in that part of the country went on strike. But Paul Newman's family, I think their name was the Stampers. The Stampers with uh, Henry Fonda and Paul Newman, I mean, they were a tough old family, and they refused, they refused to join the strike. So the entire movie <clears throat> was about how they kept their independence, how they withstood all of the adversity, all of the ridicule, all of the townspeople being against them and how they were able to stand strong independently for their values and what they thought was right uh, throughout the entire movie. It was actually a good movie, but the, the title always st stuck with me, Never Give an Inch. So we're going to talk about that this morning in the light of the gospel. Because sometimes you ask yourself, with all of, the, all of the pushback and the opposition that this message of pure radical grace, hyper grace, stirs up, I think some of us ask ourselves, why do we continue to live out this gospel? I mean, it's a whole lot easier just to give in to what everybody else is doing and not stand like the Stampers did independently by ourselves for what we think and know to be right and what we've received by revelation from the Lord. <clears throat> I've shared a little bit of this message when I was in Grand Rapids a couple of months ago, two, three months ago, and also a little bit in Dallas. But I've added to it and I've, I've kind of worked around and honed it down some and um, got several more parts to it. So I want to share this because I think it's important that every once in a while we take a look at, at uh, what we're doing and that we encourage one another to, to persist, to never give an inch. And there's no doubt about it that the evangelical church pushes against the gospel of grace. There's, a, there's a, a line of demarcation between the evangelical church and those of us that teach this message of radical, pure grace. And I know many of you have seen that line and you've come out, out of it and you've crossed over and you're withstanding some of that pushback. And I want to encourage you this morning to never give an inch on this, on this good news gospel that you have. So let's talk about that this morning. Because evangelicalism teaches what we have to do to get to God. It's a, there's a very simple distinction between grace and the evangelical message. The evangelical church teaches what we must do to get to God. It always begins with a message of separation. Either you were born separated, you've lived separated, you have sinned and it has separated you. The message always begins with separation and then how we are supposed to, through our efforts, our good behaviors, our discipline, our spiritual activity, bridge that separation between us and God. Grace, on the other hand, teaches what God has done to reach us. Evangelical church teaches what we must do to reach God. Grace teaches what God has done to reach us. Uh, that all men have always been included in union. So the message of grace does not begin with separation. It always begins with union, with oneness. So the evangelical church is based on man's effort. Grace is based on God's effort. 
So let's look at a scripture. Let's look at Paul. Paul's our guy. So let's look at Paul because Paul was a guy that never gave an inch on the gospel that he taught. And he withstood a lot of opposition. I want to look at a couple of scriptures that highlight this opposition that Paul faced and the fact that he didn't ever back up. He didn't compromise or, or uh, settle for a mixed message or less than what the Lord had revealed to him that he was to minister to the Gentiles, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. So let's look at, at one instance where Paul never gave an inch on the gospel. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 4. Let me read verses 4, 5, and 6. Paul says, And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. And that's what happens when you walk in liberty, the the, 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 the pushback from religion is always to bring you back into the bondage that religion has. And it says in verse 5, it's, Paul says this, To whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the, of the gospel might continue with you. Then he goes on in verse 6 says, But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me, God shows no personal favoritism to any man for those who seem to be something added nothing to me. So what, what's Paul saying here? He's saying, look, there are guys that came in, spied out the liberty we have in Christ. They tried to bring us back into religious bondage. But I'm telling you, we stood firm. We stood, we stood steadfast and we weren't bound to be brought back into the mess that we came out of. You know, I think one of, the, one of the highlights in life, one of, the, one of the real highs is seeing the light of revelation click in somebody's eyes that really gets the gospel for the first time in their life. When you actually see that somebody gets it, when they tune into the gospel, the re, I mean the good news, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the good news that has no bad news. It makes all of the effort, it makes all of the sacrifice, it makes all of the uh, things that maybe you've come through as you've stood for this message, it makes it all worthwhile. And, and Paul must have felt the same way. I think Paul enjoyed turning the light on in the lives of people more than he felt the sacrifice and the cost and the suffering for the gospel of grace that was given to him directly by Jesus. I think he felt, I think he felt that zing that high, you know, that we've probably all experienced. We've, we've seen a loved one. We've seen a friend. We've seen somebody that's been really weighed down with religion. When they actually come out of it and we, and we see the change in their life, it makes it well worthwhile. Paul never gave an inch, but that doesn't mean Paul didn't face pushback. There are, are essentially two groups that gave Paul a huge amount of problems. And those same two groups are with us today. The first group that gave Paul a lot of difficulty with the gospel were the Jews. Now, the Jews were people uh, that were bound by law, by religion, by tradition, and they weren't bound to change. They would be a little bit like uh, mainline denominations today, whether it's Catholicism or uh, Calvinism, Armenianism. I mean, they're locked in tight to their theology. They're locked into their belief system. They're not going to change, and they're not giving an inch either on, on their position and where they stand. So Paul faced tremendous opposition from that group. The other group that Paul faced a lot of problems with are what he called the Judaizers, interesting group of people. Judaizers uh, 
saw the cross, they believed in Jesus, but they tacked on circumcision as a condition to be saved. Paul had tremendous problems with those, with those people. Every church that he went to, whether it was in Galatia or Philippi or Corinth, every church that Paul went into and broke out the gospel and brought liberty and freedom into the lives of people, the Judaizers would follow up immediately, as religion always does, and began to tack on this stipulation and condition of circumcision. Now, the amazing part is that we have uh, opposition and pushback from the same two, same two groups of people today. 2,000 years later, Paul's message still has a problem with those two groups of people. Now, there's a difference today in what we face and what Paul faced. The difference is this. The mixed message of, you know, a, a Jesus plus an add-on. And the add-on today isn't necessarily circumcision. I, I don't know any group of people that believe you have to be circumcised along with accepting Jesus to be saved. But our circumcision today in religion comes in the form of you have to pray a, a magic prayer. You have to make a confession in the right way. You have to be water baptized. Uh, you have to speak in tongues. And all those things in various groups and denominations are tacked on to the simplicity of the gospel message in order to have right standing with God. Now, the, 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 the difference today and in what Paul faced is that that mixture message has controlled the church for so long and so many generations that now the Jesus plus the tack on or the add on has become orthodox Christianity. And the pure simplistic message of Paul of Jesus and all that he's done on the cross and its sufficiency for the entire cosmos, that now has become the heresy. That has become the outsider message. So another gospel presenting another Jesus has now become the mainline message and the Jesus that Paul presented and the gospel that Paul presented is now on the outside looking in. Now it's changing. And it's changing fast. It's not changing in churches. And I say there are exceptions to that within certain churches. There are certain churches that, that have gotten a hold of this message and the pastor has stood strong. He's, he's withstood opposition. He has withstood people leaving. All of that kind of thing. And he, and he has not given an inch on the message. But for the most part, denominations in churches are not changing. Where it's changing today is in the individual lives of people. We're finding people all over the world that are, are, are hearing the same thing, that are, are, are getting the same vibration, the same resonance within of this gospel that has brought freedom and liberty into the lives of the hearers. So the question is, with all of the flack, all of the pushback, why continue? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be easier just to go the way of the mixed message? I mean... Gosh, looking back, there, there wasn't much opposition to that. It wasn't much difficulty. Things went pretty smooth. I mean, you just fell into the line with everybody else. And yeah, your life was hypocritical. And you, on the outside, looked one way inside. You knew you weren't cutting it. But at least, you know, everybody embraced you, hugged you. You had friends. <laughs> you didn't lose anything, right? Except all the frustration that you were going through. So the question is, why do we do this? Why do we do this? Well, I want, to, I want to give you eight reasons. I want to give you four this Sunday and four next Sunday on why you and I must never give an inch. Why we have to be persistent, steadfast, hold strong 
to this message of liberty and freedom that, that has been given to us by revelation. And I think those of you that are, are with me today, most of you, this is not just something you learn because you don't learn grace by, by reading books. You learn it by revelation. You can learn religion by reading books. You can learn religion by getting a degree. But what I'm talking about is what's coming to, what has come into your life and into your heart as a revelation from the Spirit of God that has made a huge difference. So why, why do we continue this? Let me give you four reasons this morning for next week. Are you ready? All right, reason number one, why we never give an inch is because you and I have been called, <laughs> we've been selected for whatever reason to see this message and begin to spread it to other people. Paul, Paul in Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, he, he said something, and I'm going to paraphrase it for you. He said something along the line that, you know what, I'm not going to stop until I have completed the mission for which I was sent to complete. So Paul is saying, I'm not going to back up. I'm not going to quit. I'm not, I'm not going to fall in line with the religion. He said, I'm going to persist with this. I'm going to continue with this gospel of grace until I have absolutely finished my course, until I've accomplished everything that I know that I am to accomplish with this gospel of grace. What is the gospel of grace? Let me bottom line it for you. Let me put it in a nutshell. Maybe this is relatively new to you. And we're thankful for all the new viewers that come in all the time to the Digital Cathedral. Every week I hear from new people. And sometimes I get to thinking, you know, everybody has been with me for 10 years or 15 years as we've been unraveling this message. So we're all at a certain place. But that's not always the case. There are people that are coming in on a very foundational level. So those of you that are the old timers, the old pros, forgive me once in a while if I stop the bus and Get everybody up to speed a little bit, which is what I'm doing this Sunday and next Sunday. Getting everybody up to speed. Why, why this message is important and why we don't back up from it. All right. So we've been called to do it. So what, what is this gospel of grace? What is this message that we proclaim? Very simply, it's this. Grace is everything that the Father through the Son in the Spirit has done for us apart from our effort and works to redeem us, reconcile us, and save us, to bring us back into a loving relationship with Him apart from any of our efforts or our works. In other words, the Father through the Son and the Spirit has done all the heavy lifting. They have dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's. They've done everything that's necessary. And the only thing left for you and me to do is to say thank you. That's all that's, all that's left to do. So, for some reason, God has selected you. God has put a hand on you. God has revealed to you. He's lifted the veil off of your eyes. And he has said, I, I have selected you and I'm, I'm going to put, maybe he selected us because we're tough. I don't know. We have thick skins. We can handle rejection. There's probably a, a whole list of reasons that one day we'll understand when we, we talk to him about, you know, why did you put me on the front line of this thing? Why didn't you pick somebody else that was a little bit more proficient, that had a little bit more skill? Why did you put us out there? And he's probably going to have a whole list of reasons why he pre-wired us from before the foundation of the world to be on the fretting cusp of delivering this message of freedom to all men. So that, that's, the, that's the minute. We have a ministry in, in 2 Corinthians 5.18. It says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing man's trespasses against them. He wasn't adding up sins anymore. And he's actually given to us the word or the ministry of reconciliation. So you have a ministry. 
People always wonder what their ministry is. I used to spend hours and hours back in the 90s and early 2000s talking to people about what their ministry is because that was all the rage, finding, discovering, and fulfilling your ministry. Well, you have a ministry. I don't care how you get a paycheck, you have a ministry. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says that you have a ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? That means what the gospel of grace is that I just defined, that you are to let men know that God through Jesus in the Spirit has done everything necessary to redeem us, justify us, make us righteous. They have done everything possible. There's nothing left for you and me to do except throw our hands up and say thank you. We really appreciate it. It's not based on your prayer, your confession, your faith, your actions, your discipline, any of those things, right? So that's the ministry of reconciliation. Now there's a message to the ministry. So let me tell you what your message is. And this is what you need to learn to be proficient in helping people to see. This is what opens the eyes of people. What's the message? All right, now when we know we have the ministry of reconciliation, how do we help men see that? First of all, we let them know that every sin has already been forgiven. Sin's a moot point. The evangelical church needs to repent on this sin issue because they insist that you ask forgiveness of sins that the Father doesn't have any memory of, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. It says in Hebrews chapter, what is it? Hebrews chapter 8, somewhere along verse 12, verse 13. He makes the promise. He says, your, your trespasses and your sins I will remember no more. Now, here's how crazy the evangelical church is. They will teach that verse sometimes, and then you try to balance it out with 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Well, which one is it? Is it, is it he only forgives what we confess, or is it our sins and trans, transgressions and trespasses he remembers no more? Well, I'm not going to get into 1 John 1, 9, but just let me say that 1 John 1, 9, was, let me just say this. It was written by John to Jews that were in a transitional generation coming out of the law. And John, Peter, James, and John were sent to the circumcision to help bring them out of that mess. And so when you read Peter, James, and John, there's always a little bit of, of, of we must do or we have to that you never find in Paul's writings to the Gentiles. So the, the and I, I'm, I'm tempted to just get into that verse, but it, just, let me just tell you, <clears throat> it's not written for you, all right? It's not written to you. Let me just say it that way. It's not written to you. It was written to the Jews that John was writing to. So don't, don't take on the burden of that. The truth is, your sins and your transgressions, he remembers no more. And that's what Paul told us. The ministry of reconciliation is letting men know, 2 Corinthians 5.18, that God was in Christ reconciling the world, not imputing our trespasses against us, Gentiles. So we need to let men know that all sins have been forgiven. Sins are not being added up. Sins are not being held against you. Now, does that mean there's not a problem when you sin? That's not what it means at all. The wages of sin is death. There is within sin the kickback to that sin. You will have a repercussion, but it doesn't come from God. It comes from the sin. The wages of sin, not the wages of God. The wages of the sin is death. The sin itself brings the death. The death does not come from God. God doesn't... You confess all your sins to God. God folds his arms and does a face palm and says, I don't have any clue what you're even talking about. 
So why is it that we don't want to sin? Is it because we're going to make God angry? No. It's because there's a consequence, a natural consequence that comes out of the sin, which is a, which is a, a separation in our, in our minds, in the lifestyle that we live. It's a separation in a connection to the life of God. We disconnect. He hasn't disconnected from us, but we have made a disconnect from him. All right. Second thing is this. Here's the second thing to the message. We, we need to let them know. This is part of the ministry of reconciliation. Number two, this is the message. The ministry is reconciliation. The message in the ministry, number one, is you've been forgiven of all sins. Number two, the message, the, the, the message is that you're free from all law. Especially all of those laws that the particular church you attend has come up with. I don't know too many people that have a, have a problem. They don't, they don't follow the law with taking rebellious children outside the city gates and stoning them to death. We, you know, that's not a law we worry about. We don't worry too much about mixing fabrics, you know, in our garments. That's a law we don't, we're not too, we don't get too concerned about that. The laws that really are the bondages to people are the laws that, are, that come down through church tradition. They maybe started as a suggestion back when, in three generations ago, a suggestion. And that suggestion then became a standard in the next generation. And then by the third generation, what had started as a suggestion and a standard now becomes a law. And when you break that law, you feel guilty and you feel condemned. And I won't get into all the, all the various church laws. There are thousands of them across denominational lines that have been woven into the fabric of church life that make us feel guilty and condemned and unworthy. And part of the ministry of reconciliation is this message that we are absolutely free from the law. Romans chapter 10 and verse 4 says that Christ has, re has redeemed us. He has freed us from the law. It actually says it this way. Christ is the end of the law to everyone that believes. That believes what? That believes he's the end of the law. Some of us don't believe Jesus is the end of the law, so we're still trying to keep it. We're still trying to live by it. All right, third part of the message of reconciliation that we should be able to break out, and I'm giving you the message, so this, this should be like a can of preserves. You can break this out anytime and serve it. You should be able to let somebody know right off the bat that they have been forgiven of all their sins, maybe have a scripture or two, a word of life about it. You should be able to let people know they're free from all laws, those church bondages that held them in check. They're not, they're not in play anymore. And you should be able to, third of all, to let them know that they can call God Father because they have already had a spirit of sonship imputed to them. He is their Abba, Daddy, Father. We are part of the family. We have always been part of the family. And now we're waking up to it, and it's very liberating. Let people know they are now and always have been sons and daughters Somebody messaged me last week and was all upset because I didn't say daughters every time I said sons. Well, listen, if I can be the bride of Christ, then ladies, you can be a son of God. All right. We're, we're not speaking <laughs> gender wise. It, it's, there's, no, there's no male female in this thing. All right. It's just, we're the people of God. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to stop saying sons and daughters of God and just say people of God just 
to get rid of that little friction that some ladies have, like they are slighted because we don't say ladies or women. So if I'm, if I'm the bride of Christ, ladies, you can be the son of God. Fair enough? So you can let them know that they're a child of God. That relationship is not in question. It's cemented in. It's tight. That incorruptible seed is being awakened to everything that you have now because you're a son. Part of the message number four, in addition to number one, all sin's forgiven. Number two, there's no laws there under anymore. Number three, they're automatically now sons and children of God. And number four, part of the message, and this is a relatively new part of the message, but you need to let them know they no longer have to fear punishment from God, but can rest back into the arms of a loving father. Tell them hell is an illusion. The evangelical church, I doubt, will ever release their, their belief in hell because it's, it's the main tool of evangelism. It's what keeps the cash flowing. It's what keeps people coming. It's what keeps people insecure to the point they want to come back to hear what they need to do to make God pleased and happy with them. But to those of us that have found that it is a mythological hocus-pocus, it has not created... Uh, rebellion in us it has created great appreciation and love for the father because now we can see him right we can feel secure in him because we no longer fear him or think you know I may hit him on a bad day when I die or maybe there's something going on in my life I'm not aware of and I saw one lady post this week in Facebook and, and I felt so bad for her she said well you'll never know if you're going to heaven or hell until you stand before him and I thought, dear Jesus, what an insecure way to live. To not have any assurance. To not know that he is a father and how a father would treat his children. Paul tried to get it across in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. He said, it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. We've come through 1,500 years of blasting people. We've come through 1,500 years now of, of, of condemnation and guilt and fear. I want to see what we can do with, another, with the next 1500s of teaching love and acceptance and goodness and mercy that endures forever and a love that never fails. What, what kind of impact on our culture and what kind of representation of the Father that we could begin to plant into the hearts of people as we remove all that other junk out. So we've got a great message, guys. In case you haven't caught it all yet, we've got an unbelievable message that we have with this ministry of reconciliation that we all have. Our message has got to be number five, that they are, are with assurance forgiven, they're accepted, and they're loved beyond measure. That's, that's your message. So if you're watching me today on the Digital Cathedral, I've given you a ministry and I've given you a message. Doesn't matter whether you're an attorney, a school teacher, whether you work in an oil industry here in Houston or, or whatever it is you do. You work in a, a retail shop, you work at the mall. You have a ministry. That ministry is reconciliation. And the message is to let people know that sin is no longer an issue, that their sins have all been forgiven, that they are free from every law that has ever been put against them, including all of the junk they may have faced over at church. You can let them know that they can call God Father because they are now sons. They have received the spirit of adoption and they can cry, Abba, Father. And number four, they don't have to fear punishment anymore. They don't have to fear. Hell does not have to even enter their minds. And you can let them know, number five, that they are forgiven, accepted, and they're loved beyond measure. That's the message that we can never give an inch on. 
Never give an inch. Number two, why, why do we stick with this message? Why do we need to be persistent? Why do we need to press forward with it? Number two, we need to never give an inch because grace is the truth of the gospel, right? Apart from grace, guys, there is no gospel. Apart from grace, you've got the wrong Jesus. Jesus, John chapter 1 verse 14 says that Jesus came full of grace and truth. Paul recognized, and I hit on this every once in a while because it's been so big to me. Paul hit, hit on this, that there is, there is another Jesus and there is another gospel. And people that are following another Jesus and another gospel actually don't realize they're following another Jesus and another gospel. And so they look at those of us that minister this pure grace message of Paul and they say that's another gospel and that's another Jesus you're preaching because they're so accustomed to a Jesus that puts demands on them. They're so, they're so used to a gospel that is a transactional uh, a deal that we make where we do something and then God responds and accepts us. That's not the gospel. That's what Paul called another Jesus and another gospel. All kinds of Jesuses and all kinds of gospels running around today. But I'll tell you, there is a gospel and there is a Jesus that arise, is arising today that I call radical because red comes back to the Latin word for root. And we're going back to the roots of the gospel that Jesus gave to Paul to bring to the Gentiles. And you can recognize another Jesus a mile away. And you can recognize the right Jesus a mile away. Let me tell you about the wrong Jesus or another Jesus. You can always tell another Jesus because another Jesus failed to complete the mission the Father sent him to complete. What was that mission? Jesus recognized his mission. In Luke chapter 10 and 19 and verse 10, Jesus said that the Son of God came to seek and to save that which is lost. Two parts to his mission. Now, the evangelical church, most of us were raised on the idea that, yes, Jesus came to seek the lost, but it was our job to make sure we got ourselves saved. Now, we might not have expressed it that way. We might have said, Jesus saves me. But we knew that without our part, without us doing our thing to add into it, that we would not be saved. That's not what Jesus said he came to do. Now, even to some of you that are in the digital cathedral, that might sound a little bit strange to your ears. And you're going, wait a minute, hold on. Are you telling me I don't have to do anything to be saved? That's exactly what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that objectively that was all handled at the cross. And now you're awakening to what was already done 2,000 years ago. And you're saying, thank you that you accomplished it for me. Another Jesus never fulfills the task. First John says that he was manifest to destroy the works of the devil. Another Jesus never destroys the works of the devil entirely. He has left it up to you to go into warfare and, and get into the heavenlies and finish the job that he, poor Jesus, couldn't get done. Another Jesus doesn't say it is finished. Another Jesus says, I did my part, now you do your part. What, what did Jesus say about that? Look, look with me in John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Another Jesus says, it, it's not finished. I did my part, now you do your part. What, what did Jesus say? In, in, Matthew, in John chapter 4, verse 34. Look at this. In John chapter 4 and verse 34, in case there's any doubt. John chapter 4, verse 34. Jesus said to them, my food 
is to do the will of the one who sent me, watch, and to finish the work. What was the work that he came to finish? It was to seek and to save those that are lost. All right. So another Jesus doesn't finish the job. The Jesus that Paul taught, the gospel that Paul brought, Jesus did it all. He accomplished everything. Look, here's, here's what another gospel looks like. Paul had so much problems with the, with the church at Galatia. Those guys drove him nuts. In chapter 3, he goes to them one time and he says, you crazy Galatians, he says, who put a hex on you? He said, did you, did you come into this thing by the hearing of faith or by your works? And now I said, well, of course we came into it by grace. So Paul says in, in verse 3, verse 4, he says, then why in the world having come in by grace? Do you remember how they baited you with grace in your old church, the Pentecost church, charismatic church, evangelical church? saying, just as I am without one plea, and you came forward just as you were. But as soon as you came forward just as you were and signed the card, then you begin to find out all that you had to do to keep what you got just as you were. You had to go to church every week, had to pay your tithe, go to Bible study, get into discipleship class, go to home group, go to men's group. I mean, there were a gazillion things you had to do. Now you had to make effort to get what had been given to you by grace. And so... It's a good bait and switch gospel, isn't it? So that's what Paul was getting at those guys. But Paul never gave an inch. Paul never gave an inch. So by the time he gets to Galatians chapter 5, two chapters later, he says, guys, you need to stand fast in the liberty with which Christ has made you free. Don't go be tangled again with a yoke of bondage. Don't do that. So the wrong Jesus, the wrong Jesus failed to complete his mission. He could never say that it's finished. He's looking to us to complete the job. Now, a right Jesus, on the other hand, and the right gospel, the one that Paul presented, the one that was revealed to Paul, teaches a right standing with God apart from any works of righteousness or religious additions or additives that we can give it. Now, that gospel, the gospel that Paul taught, then allows us to rest. It allows us to just totally feel secure in what the cross fully accomplished and the resurrection gave witness to. The problem, listen, the problem with me feeling I have to complete the work is that I'm never, I'm never secured that I've done enough to complete it. But when I rest back into knowing that Jesus completed it and the pressure and the heat is off of me, then I can feel secure in what he has done, right? So it allows you to rest. And the only way you fall out of this grace, the only way you're going to ever come out of this, it, you don't sin your way out of grace. You know, I, that's, that was the old teaching. And I used to teach that. You fall from grace every time you sin. You fall from grace. No, you don't. Because where sin abounds, grace superabounds. It super exceeds. It goes, however far sin goes, grace goes beyond that. The way you come out of grace is to do what they did at the church of Galatia. You go back under the law. You put yourself back under bondage. All right? So, number three, why, 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 do we, why do we not give an inch on this gospel? Why do we not give an inch on this message? Number three, it's, be, it's because we need to stick with it that those who hear it might remain, that it might remain with the hear, that it might remain with the hear. 
you know, if we don't keep going over this, if we don't keep teaching it, there, we have this natural thing about us that we fall back into efforts. I, I have to watch it. There are times that I see myself slipping back into a performance that I'm trying to put on myself to feel like I have to get up to a certain place, right? So we, we need to continually refresh this. We need to hit the reset button all the time because our, our, our natural inclination is to feel there's no free lunch. And if you don't keep a sharp edge in grace, if you don't keep going from grace to grace or from glory to glory, faith to faith, however you want to term it, there's a tendency to go back in like the church at Galatia did, back into self-effort. And there's two ways that I've observed that grace no longer remains or has an impact on the lives of people. First way is this. It is replaced or crowded out by something else. And usually what it's replaced or crowded out by is the pushback from old friends and family that talk you out of what you have. And that's what happened in Galatians. Again, Paul, Paul ran into every conceivable problem with this message over there at the church of Galatia. In, in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul said, I marvel that you're, that you're turning so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ. He says, you're turning back to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the work of Christ. When people talk, try to talk you out of it, and you probably encountered that when you, first, when you first came out of the grace closet, and you let people know that I have discovered something, I got something that has set me free, and you begin to explain to them, and they go, wait a minute, well, what about this scripture? No, wait a minute, what about this? And, and, and they begin to debate with you and talk with you, and they create enough doubt of what the truth of the gospel is that you begin to question yourself. Well, all my friends can't be wrong, and I'm the only right one. I mean, everybody down at the church can't be, be in error, and I'm maybe I'm missing something here, right? So when all of your church friends question you, it's easy to bail. It's easy to let the fear and the doubt, and that should be a red flag. When people are trying to dissuade you out of this message, by fear and doubt, that should be a red flag that if it's removing the luster of your joy that is coming from the wrong source. See, there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. So when someone's trying to use guilt, condemnation, to take the luster off of what you found, it's a red flag that, listen, what I'm hearing from you, my friend, I'm not buying back into so to avoid that, the only way that you can avoid it, I know of, is to continue to grow in grace. You continue to unwrap another layer off of the onion and you just completely delve into and dive into discovering new depths to the message. The second way that I've noticed that grace no longer impacts people is there are people that feel like they've outgrown it, as amazing as it is. You cannot outgrow grace. Grace, I, I, will, I will admit to you, and I've said from the very beginning, grace is not the end of the story. Grace will lead you to much deeper truths. But grace is a foundation. 
Grace is the highway we travel on, but there are exits off that highway. I've talked to you about uh, divinity as identity. I've talked to you about uh, embracing your divinity. I've talked to you about sonship. I've talked to you about loving other people and manifesting as sons of God. All of those things are exits off the highway of grace. But once you exit off and you learn, you get back on the highway and you go to the next exit. You take what you've learned and you get back on. Grace is the road you travel on. You get back on the highway and you continue to travel wherever it is that grace takes you. And grace will take you to some outstanding places. Grace, first place grace took me was a revelation of the love of the Father. I didn't abandon grace and just stay there. I let grace then take me to divinity as identity. Every series now that I'm teaching you, it's where grace has taken me. It's very simple. There is no end to grace. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7, he said in essence it's going to take the ages to come for us to discover the depths of the goodness and the grace that God has for all of us. You will never exhaust it. So I don't know how anybody can outgrow it in three or four years. And I have friends now that have gone way out somewhere else. They've gotten off the grace highway and they've taken some exit and they're not coming back. They feel like I've just outgrown. I know everything there is to know about it. Jesus was full of grace and truth. John 1.14. Then it goes out to verse 16 and it says, And of his fullness we have all received. Right? Jesus never got past grace. Jesus lived grace to the hill. Jesus manifested the love of the Father. Jesus knew his identity. But grace was the style of life that he lived. Grace and love team together. They are manifestations of your divine nature, right? That you're a partaker of. All right, number four. Let me give you the last one real quick. And this is, this is big. This is why we must never give an inch. Because grace changes people. It changes people more than any message that I've ever taught. I've taught it all. I've taught word and faith. I've taught deliverance. I've taught the prophetic. I've taught it all. And nothing has ever changed people as drastically as grace has. Nothing has changed me as much as this message. I, I've never seen the drastic change in people that grace, that breaks, grace brings with doing anything else. Every message, when it's couched in grace, seen through the lens of grace, it brings a change into your life and the power of it is that it brings the change effortlessly. Romans chapter 5 and verse 17, for what by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more. They which receive, watch, they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus. You want to reign in life? Then you need the abundance of grace. You want to come to a higher level, a bigger, a higher consciousness? You want to live a transcendent life? Then abundance of grace will take you there. Abundance of grace leads us to reigning in life and everything that that entails. So we persist with this message. We don't give an inch. We never back up on it. We don't let people argue us, debate us, or talk us out of it. Now, does believing grace, does practicing grace, does sharing grace divine identity, unconditional love, mercy that endures forever. Does having this great big Jesus, and this is really what religion has a problem with, our Jesus is just too big. Does that carry a price tag? Yeah, it really does. 
really does. You probably won't be stoned with stones like Paul was or beaten with rods like Paul was, but you may lose friends. The friends that you will lose will be the friends who's only tied to you, and this is going to shock you when it happens, will be the friends who's only tied to you is the depth of agreement in your religious doctrine. And when you no longer agree in their, with their religious doctrine, they kick you to the curb in a heartbeat. But I'll tell you this, the new people that you'll encounter, the new people that I have friendship with, you guys that are on the digital cathedral, you guys have more than made up for every friend that has walked away from me, and there are a lot of them. You have more than made up for that, and I feel more camaraderie and fellowship and closeness with you than I ever did many others because our fellowship is not based on doctrine. It's based around Jesus plus nothing. So let me just hit it again. Why is it that we never give an itch? Why is it like Paul in, in Galatians where he withstood those guys to the face and said, you guys came in to, to spy us out, take our liberty, but I'm telling you what, we aren't submitting to you for one moment. Why, did, why are we able to never give an itch? Because number one, we're called to do this. Number two, it's the truth of the gospel. Number three, so that it can remain with people. We stay persistent so that it, 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 it takes root. And number four, because it is such a life changer. Hebrews 13, 9 says, be established in the grace of God. Let's get established in this. Let's become so established that when we minister this, when we see somebody, what comes out of every pore of our body is a message of reconciliation. It's forgiveness of sin. It's fatherhood of God. It's, it's release of all bondage and laws. It's letting people know how loved and accepted they already are. It's just part of us now, and it's the message that we teach, and we will never give an inch. All right, I'll complete this next week. God bless you. Good to have you with me. Have a wonderful week. See you Wednesday night, and uh, let's let every man know how good our God really is. Amen. See you next time at the Digital Cathedral.